Hi guys. Hello. Welcome back to the Secret Syllabus podcast. The Secret Syllabus is a production of the Female Quotient and iHeartRadio and co-produced by the Female Quotient and Wonder Media Network. I'm Kitty Tracy. And I'm Hannah Ashton. And today's episode is all about content creation. I am especially excited for this episode because Katie and I have a big background in content creation as we both started our YouTube channels and social media very young. I knew that when I started, I was around 10 years old. And I started because I found the world of American Girl Doll YouTube. It was called AGTube. And I would log on after a day of elementary school school and just be immersed in this online community, which was very brand new in like the mid 2000s. And I loved the community I found there because it was like minded girls who had a love for dolls, a love for YouTube, and it was just so fun. And I wanted to join it. So that's when I decided to make my first channel. And obviously, now my content is a bit different as I've had a few other channels along the way. But Katie, why did you decide to start? I think what you said, community, that is the word. You know, when I started, I also was just looking for other people who like the same things that I did. It was very much to express myself at first, but throughout the six years that I've been on YouTube, it has turned into something else. So I say that the reason I started is not the same I continue because I learned so much and I grew so much by having this supportive community with me. And now I want to pay it forward. I want to share everything I've learned along with my journey. And now I just love seeing my viewers and people who are in a similar position to me three, four years ago go through what I had just gone through. Mm. And I love this episode because I think it's super relatable to just the average college person listening because we, yes, create content as our jobs, but we're also full-time students. And our guest, she creates content while also working as well part-time. So I think it's going to be super relatable. But I'd love to know, Katie, what does a day in the life look like for you as a student and a content creator? Yeah, I think people don't talk enough about the sacrifices that we do have to make as content creators in our lives. So for me in college, that has meant bulk filming a lot of videos. So I don't do the whole like make a new video every week, rinse and repeat four times in a month. I actually just film most of my videos and vlogs in one week. And then I kind of phase it out and stagger the editing throughout the month so I can still, you know, have a social life because admittedly, that is something I had to sacrifice when I was a first year in college because my Fridays were the only free times that I had to film, edit, upload, and do all that. And, you know, I wasn't able to join as many things because of it, but now I've gone to the rhythm of bulk filming and it's a lot better. Have you, like, do you feel the same? I wish I could say I also bulk film, but I've tried it and I just can't be consistent with it. So I do film and edit my videos on a week to week basis. And I think what's also difficult is the fact that yes, it is filming and editing and uploading, but there's so many other aspects to running a YouTube channel or just an online personal brand. You know, you got to stay up to date on the stories and then everyone's telling you to get into TikTok or to Instagram live. Oh, you got to go on YouTube live as well. And I know we have managers to help us with our sponsorships. But other than that, you know, we do all the editing, PR, we have to learn the SEO, we have to make sure we're responding to our communities, and also have other obligations such as school, internship, and business stuff as well. And I know it can be 
very, very time consuming. So I think a sacrifice I've had to make is definitely the free time. And I make sure to, in my free time, spend it with friends. But what I find is I don't have a ton of downtime. Like I don't take a full day just to sit like and watch TV. Instead, I'll be like, okay, let me, you know, watch TV, but make it with friends. So I'm like trying to get the best of both worlds and make sure my, my time with my friends is balanced and also um, still having fun and not working all the time. But yeah, there's definitely sacrifices when you want to do something out of the norm. And it's not normal for a college student to also be running a whole online brand. So there will be sacrifices. I really feel that, especially when you're in the productivity tube aspect, you feel like you always have to be hustling, uh, that word. Um, you know, you always have to be on top of it. You don't have any free time and any time you waste is like, oh no, you're not like working towards your dreams, but you are. And we all deserve rest. Exactly. I mean, with a, I feel like a nine to five job or just being a student, like once you get your work done, once you're done with that assignment, like you're done, you don't have to think about it. But I know for me over the past 10 years, I've been doing YouTube, there's always something you can be doing. And so you can feel guilty very easily because yes, you may film and upload one video, but there's always next week's video you could be working on, or there's always, you know, a better tactic you can be learning, a new editing software you could be trying. So there's always something you could be doing. And I've really had to learn that I need to stay present and not be too worried about, you know, next week's tasks. Just get done what I know I need to get done and then also make time for myself and friends and all of that. That is a challenge. And I also felt like I also struggled with that with my identity because I felt in college I was also known as the YouTuber. So I felt like my identity was really making videos. And so anytime I met someone who knew about my channel, I was like, oh, yep, gotta make another video today. Gotta keep that going. And so it was really hard to break free from that for a while. But I think when you take a step back from social media and you surround yourself with, you know, different people who aren't always in that space or, you know, people who know you as a friend, a sister, a mentor, or just some other identity just helps you come back to yourself and really enjoy all aspects. Absolutely. I love how our guest also talks about being like a diverse person. Like she has so many interests and being a content creator is just one of those. And just like you were saying, I'm happy that I have my YouTube friends online like you, but also none of my friends in real life are YouTubers. And so like when I hang with them, I kind of can get out of the work headspace and just enjoy being a college student sometimes too. Yes. Well, I think on that note, we should dive right into this week's interview with Taz Neem. I vibed so much with this. Taz Neem Nathari, also known as Hood Rat Feminist, is a hip-hop head, R&B diva enthusiast, and multimedia artist from East Orange, New Jersey, and she uses her platform to share her stories. Hi, Tasneem. Welcome to the show. We'd love if you could start us off by introducing yourself to our listeners, so where you're from and what your platform is all about. Well, hi, my name is Tasneem Nathari. I'm from East Orange, New Jersey. Uh, now I live in Atlanta, Georgia, and that's where I work. My platform recognizes me as a rat feminist. That's like how I refer to myself and how most people refer to me. Hurrah Feminist grew out of an introduction to feminist thought and action course where I felt like Black women and girls and issues and traumas that plague us specifically were intentionally left out of course material. The day I was in class, we were supposed to discuss Black masculinity. My professor decided to uh, do course evaluations for half of our class time. So I felt like we were really slighted and the following semester, I ended up taking a course, Womanist Black Feminist Theater, which 
introduced me to being able to like have my art be very specific and to focus my all of my work, my content creation on black feminism. That's kind of like the umbrella that I work under and womanism and all the different sectors of black feminism, intersectionality. Yeah. So I graduated in 2018, but the work has not stopped. I made a film about how black women and girls from urban neighborhoods, I put urban in quotes because that's just how we're recognized, predominantly black and brown neighborhoods are introduced to love and sex. Since then, I've been able to like really grow an Instagram following. It's very niche, very focused, and I really appreciate that community. Yes, and we're going to get into your documentary, and we have some questions about that. But we know in an interview, you mentioned how you started Hood Rat Feminist, because growing up, you didn't see people like you, and you wanted to hear a voice that you could relate to. What is that voice, and how has it inspired you as a creator today? I feel like I have a lot of layers to me. I don't think that um, being a Black woman is monolithic, and I think a lot of times that is how we're portrayed especially like in the media or television and film, there's like this one image of black women, or actually there are like different stereotypes of black women. There's like four, there's a Jezebel trope, a mammy trope. There's a strong black woman trope, um, a single mother, you know, there's always these ideas, but I know so many black women that have traits of more than one thing, you know? So I, I like to listen to Megan Thee Stallion and listen to Cardi B and I listen to jazz and I, I'm just so diverse of a person. I, I read so many different books. I'm passionate about so many different things. And so I felt it necessary to live my life on display. That is so powerful. And I love how you bring that up because I think society loves trying to conform us to this box. And we're like, no, we're a creative, but we're also, you know, a friend, we're a daughter, we're so many things. On the note of the stereotypes you brought up, can you tell us more about intersectionality, which you mentioned, and how that maybe ties in with the tropes? Kimberly Crenshaw actually introduced the term intersectionality to feminism specifically. And right now she's working on like this beautiful, I don't, I don't want to call it a project because it's not that, but I watched her do, um, it was like a virtual TED Talk kind of thing on Say Her Name. So Black women and queer women and people in general, Black people who were left out of the fight for Black lives, the movement for Black lives, Black women who weren't like nationally and internationally supported the way Trayvon Martin and Michael Brown and Eric Garner, like the way Black men were supported through community, whether they be mentally ill or trans women or just not being supported by community. And so her introducing intersectionality was so important because now we realize that you have different oppression when you are black, you are a woman, you're queer, you're, you know, dealing with ageism and so many things like socioeconomic status, everything plays into your oppression and also your privilege. So that's intersectionality. It's like, you're, you're not just black. You're not just woman. You're not just queer. You're not, it's everything together. And so now we have to break it down and examine why your life is the way it is, why you are oppressed the way you are because of the things that you have no control over. Thank you so much for explaining that. I think it's a term we're hearing and it's very popular, but sometimes we don't really know what it means. 
So you mentioned about your documentary, Mom Never Told Me. I would love for you to explain a little bit more about uh, the content that's in this and why you chose to put this narrative in a documentary. I set out in May 2017 to make a film because I had been creating content specifically for Instagram for like a year. Well, I started my Instagram October 2016, so I didn't reach a whole year of content creation yet, but things were starting to pick up. But I was shadow banned on Instagram because of my content. Like they were flagging me for nudity and language and just all kinds of stuff that I didn't know I would run into. I'm like, I'm a smaller account. I didn't think Instagram would pick up on anything that I was doing. And so I was like, all right, this conversation needs to be had, obviously, because I'm having the conversation in comments. But we need to move this off of social media. This needs to live and I, at the time, I didn't even talk about what I was in school for. I was in school for dramatic art, so that's acting, directing, playwriting. So a documentary kind of just came to me. I didn't want to write a play. I didn't want to do something narrative. I thought if I could talk to the community that I was already starting to build, I literally went to my followers. Like, I'm looking for people who would be comfortable to have a conversation about sex and virginity and all of these things on camera. And I had, like... At the time, I only had like 4,000 followers or something like that, but I got like 78 submissions, which is really hard to kind of sift through everybody because I couldn't talk to everyone, but I held focus groups. So one focus group was women between the ages of 18 to 24. Another group was age 5 to 13. Another group was like 29 to like 75. It was like a large gap. Because my mom got married. And so that weekend, like all of her friends had the conversation that I had with the younger group just to kind of get responses from women who are later in their journey, which I really appreciated. Um, and then I realized during the conversation with the young girls, 5 to 13, that 13 was just so far advanced from 5. Like her younger sister was my cousin's. So I had to take the 13-year-old and talk to her on her own. You know, so I realized so many things during that journey, but we have conversations about how it wasn't called Mommy Never Told Me. I didn't have a title when I went into it. It was supposed to specifically be about sex. And then all of a sudden, in every conversation, it was like, my mother never told me this. My mother never told me. My mother didn't do this. My mother didn't do that. And so I was like, oh my goodness, this is a trend. Like, this is a through line that we aren't having these conversations. My mother used to tell me, oh, when you're thinking about having sex, come tell me. Like, why would I do that when sex has so much shame and everything associated with it that's negative? I never wanted her to be disappointed in me. I always got really good grades. So I kind of like flew under the radar. I was just able to do my thing and be sneaky and secretive and not have any support in that journey. Even through my friends, I wouldn't even tell them what I was doing because I didn't want them to think I was like a slut or something. Now I embrace everything that I am. But when I was younger, I didn't so much. So yeah, that's what the film is about. It's just about not getting the talk and what the talk would actually look like. I think that's the best kind of creativity too, when you find out, you know, serendipitously throughout the process, what this theme is that resonates with so many people. You also host a podcast called The Pleasure Pusher with Mahogany Brown, and you just wrapped up your first season. What got you started in this podcasting space? 
Um, for years, because I, I made videos on Instagram called Do Rag Diaries, where I would just talk. And at the time, I only had one minute. There was no IGTV. And so everyone was telling me, like, you need a podcast. You need a podcast. You need a podcast. But I just didn't, I didn't want to talk about pop culture. I didn't want to talk about, like, you know, drama in the media. I just, it wasn't interesting to me. And then one day, I think I was, like, reading an erotic novel and I've always written it like whether it be sexting or just like in my journal I've always written erotica and I was like this is my podcast I'm gonna write erotica I'm gonna read it and I'm gonna take submissions from other people and read their stories and give feedback so I did that for I think like 13 14 episodes or something and I got 10,000 plays on the whole thing so I was like really really excited and I'm so excited for season two because I'm going to take guests. So I'm going to be talking to like all my sex worker friends. I'm so excited to really get into the nitty gritty of like what's actually going on between the sheets out in the streets. I really want to know, like, are we having good sex? If yes, how? If not, why? And you're not only a podcaster, you're also an actor, a writer, and content creator. Can you tell us about what this looks like in your creative work? And do you have any topics you keep for specific mediums? Like, okay, we're only going to talk about sex on my podcast. Or do you find your work is more integrated? It's definitely integrated. I went to the new school in Manhattan. So I went to the College of Performing Arts at the new school. That's what it's called now. And it's known, you know, Parsons School of Design. Like, it's all the same umbrella. And that program was fairly new when I went there. They were in like their second year. I was a part of their second class, their graduating class. And so I had so much freedom to kind of do what I wanted to do. Like I was taking race and radicalism in art. I was taking womanist black feminist theater, theater of the black vanguard, in addition to like imagination and synthesis, aesthetic inquiry. Like there were just so many like meaty courses that I just, I was like, what do I do with all this information? And I realized that there is no artist who is doing exactly what I want to do. Like, I have to be myself and I have to be comfortable being a polymath. I have to feel comfortable when people say, what do you do? Like, I can't do that weird thing like, um, well, you know, I kind of I'm kind of an artist who kind of no. I had to stand firm and say that I am a multidisciplinary artist and certain projects require certain mediums and I'm starting to figure out what those mediums are when I think of the project because I make music as well so like some things come out in the shape of like a musical or like it needs music it needs those kinds of words some things are very poetic some things are theatrical like we need a set we need all kinds of stuff so it's definitely integrated everything kind of gets touched on but it depends on like how I feel in the moment. So I wanted to do a little like, thought experiment because you mentioned so many different mediums right now. So let's say you have a concept, maybe some random idea you came up with this week. How do you go about choosing what creative medium to bring this idea to life? Mm-hmm. Um, it usually comes to me as like a full project. Like I'm going to release a mixtape soon. And it came to me like, I know that this is a mixtape because of how I feel. Like, I know that it's going to be rap and R&B. Like, I kind of already had those feelings. I'm going to flip a bunch of songs that we recognize as classics, but I'm going to put like a feminist perspective to them. So, of course, that came to me as music. But my mother was adopted. Um, It was an interfamily adoption. But 
So when I was born, a lot of her relatives were already dead because her parents were 40 and 50 when she was born. So, of course, I didn't get to meet them. And so I sat down with my mother and I just sat with her for like a couple of weeks, like every single night for a couple of hours and let her tell me her entire life story, like from even before she was born, from conception to now, you know, and I still don't know what that project is yet. But I know it's going to be something. But I knew I needed to get those like audio vignettes. I needed to record it just to have that because family is so important to me. And I just need to know the story. But I'm going to make something. It feels like a film. It feels like a series. It feels like a book, you know. But I I have the material. I have the content. And now I have to figure out what I'm going to do with it. It may take 20 years, but I'm going to hold on to it, put it on a hard drive, listen to it as much as I can to figure out what it is. That's kind of like just an example of my process and where I go with it. Thanks for sharing that insight. As Katie and I are content creators ourselves, we're interested in what your typical day as a content creator looks like. That's a good question. (laughs) Um, During quarantine, I was living in L.A., So, well, it's still quarantine right now, but like when it was strict, like you couldn't go outside, you couldn't go anywhere. Um, I was living in LA. So my content creating was very different there because I wasn't working like a nine to five at that time. I was just home all day. So I would break my day up into like four hour blocks. So I would be like, all right, I have four hours for YouTube four hours for writing for the podcast and recording or editing, whatever I need to do. I have another four hours to just watch TV and fuck around and just do whatever. And then I have four hours to just, you know, prepare for the following day, make sure I eat, you know, break up those four hours, kind of spread them out. So it's kind of like that. But now that I just moved to Atlanta, I just bought a new house. I've been doing so much to be able to get comfortable here. I just started working a new job. I am getting back into my routine because I work at a breakfast place. So I'm there from 8 a.m. to about 4 p.m. And then, but I'm up at 5.45 getting ready for work and stuff. So when I get home, I still have time. That's why I chose breakfast specifically. As an artist, you have to figure out the jobs that are going to support you as an artist. You can't, you know, find jobs that don't respect that you know if you need time off you need to do something you need to take time off to do a project the job has to understand that your art comes first but I come home now and I eat and then I have to dedicate at least four hours to creating whatever it is just because I'm balancing my work for money and my work for passion that's so wise and really practical advice I think you just gave there I'm curious are there any struggles that you've faced recently as a content creator, maybe because of quarantine or just the whole shenanigan that's happened recently? Definitely. Um, Because I love being an artist and I believe that in order to be an artist, like you have to be creating. Like that's something that I had to kind of break my mind out of because I'm, I'm an artist all the time. Even when I'm not working on a project, like I'm still an artist. So that during quarantine, I just was not motivated to make anything. Like I took a week off from my podcast and that's something that I like, I swore I wouldn't do because I know consistency is everything. Um, but I just could not shake the energy. Like there was just so much going on. Um, I had just so much anxiety about the future. 
you know, just what is next? What is the world going to look like? I was just so nervous. I didn't want to talk about sex. I didn't want to do anything that I usually do. I wasn't listening to music, like all of my normal things I just couldn't do. So I was very disappointed in myself during that time. Then I had to realize that like, this is not my fault. I didn't introduce COVID. You know what I'm saying? Like I just, (laughs) I had to really focus on what I could control. Do you have any tips for people who are also facing that kind of burnout maybe or just lack of inspiration? Like how do you get out of that rut? I think you have to do what you're called to do. Don't force it because it's going to be stale. But if you're a writer, try to write every day, no matter what it is. Write like no one else is going to read it. No one else is ever going to hear it. And that's something that'll help you get out of writer's block or whatever. Because I know a lot of content creators, we have to write in some way, shape, or form in order to create. So just write things down on paper. Like when we were in school, I would have to do 10 minutes of writing every morning, like kind of like not letting your pen up off the paper, that kind of thing. Just brainstorm. I have this book that's specifically for brainstorming. It's chicken scratch. Like it's just a bunch of bullshit in there. But every now and then I go back like, hmm, that word feels like this thing. Let me figure out what this is. So yeah, just always keep record of like the random thoughts that come to you because they will be helpful later on. And just honor where you are. Don't be too hard on yourself because at the end of the day, if you aren't happy, healthy, and alive, you can't do anything. That's all great advice for students listening who are wanting to start their content creation. I'd also love to know if you have any like nitty gritty advice on maybe what platform to start or if you need any specific skills to be a content creator. Honestly, I I was very fortunate in the program that I was in in college. I got creative technology. So I kind of got the foundations of Photoshop, the foundations of like Adobe Premiere Pro, like the whole creative cloud. I got little like samples. And then it was up to me to kind of figure out what I was going to fine tune and what I was going to outsource for and like pay people to do. But the more skills you have, the more you can focus in. But you also have to figure out what you're good at and what you have to outsource for. Like you can't do everything yourself, but the things that you can do, try to do because you'll save yourself money and you'll be able to build whatever platform you choose faster. And I think it's really up to you to figure out what platform you're going to use. I find it very difficult to grow YouTube, but I know people who are just great at that. But Instagram for me is so easy. Like Instagram is just like this. Like I know I can help other people build Instagrams, but YouTube, it requires real consistency and like, it's really a formula to that. And so just figure out what platform interests you the most. Is there anything you wish people told you before you became a full-time creative or I guess part-time since you said you also work, uh, but is there anything that, yeah, you wish you knew before starting? Yes. I wish someone would have told me when I first got on Instagram and just sharing like a lot of my videos and photos and stuff would circulate on the internet. So I felt like I didn't really own my content because I wasn't one to watermark and stuff like that. So I feel it very necessary to just figure out a way to watermark or own your content because you things get recycled so often. And so they can't trace it back to you. A lot of my photos are very concept. So you don't recognize that it's me or like I had photos 
get turned into other people's artwork. You know, like people will make digital illustrations of photos that I've taken and then now they're selling it as shower curtains and towels, like all kinds of stuff have happened to me since I started. And that's just because I didn't know when a picture was gonna go viral, you know? So that's something that you just need to be careful about is try to keep track of your content. And now you have a creator page on Instagram or whatever, so you can track insights and things like that. But definitely keep track of all that stuff. Keep it in a Google Drive folder, keep it on a hard drive so that you can pitch yourself to brands like these. I have this many likes, but look at how many people are coming in contact with my content. That's very, very important. A lot of times your negative comments are going to sting way more than your positive comments. But don't focus on that because I would get like maybe two negative comments and I would have a hundred positive comments and I would just be so sad and so hung up about those negative comments. And they're just trolls. It doesn't matter. Choose to, to engage with that or don't. But I think that's very important in any type of content creation because the trolls are going to come, especially if your platform is steadily growing. Kudos to you. One quote I've heard is like, you're only human if you have haters or when you get to that point is when you know you're impacting people. So shifting gears a bit, we want to talk about allyship and activism. 2020 in particular has been an eye-opening year for many people, and social media activism has played a huge part in spreading awareness, particularly for the Black Lives Matter movement. And we were just wondering, what has this meant to you? Honestly, at first I was a little taken aback because I feel like so many Black women creatives specifically have been like screaming this, screaming everything from the mountaintops, like, this is not okay. Racial injustice is not okay. Like police brutality is plaguing our communities. The school to prison pipeline, like there are so many things that have been plaguing us for years and years and years and years. Since before I was born, we are products of slavery. Like literally, this is not new. None of this is new. So I don't want people to pretend like it is. Or I don't want people to pretend like they are just now being introduced to these injustices because we've been here all along and we've been talking about it all along. So it's definitely insulting to people who have, who have been doing this work. And I think anyone with a platform, I think it's time to pass the mic. If you are non-Black, if you aren't a person of color, I think it's time to pass the mic. I loved what Selena Gomez did with letting Kimberly Crenshaw use her Instagram for a day. You know, I, I thought that like, that's dope. These are millions of little white girls who have no clue who this black woman is. And now, you know, because of Selena's tweets, well, who they think is Selena, but it's really Kimberly, like they're learning. I thought that was like a really interesting thing. I don't know if it had any kind of impact, but I would like to see more of it because I think it could be radical. It could be revolutionary if we were able to bridge the gap in that way. So that's definitely something, passing the mic is very important right now. And not expecting people to do that labor for you. Like literally, if you type in on Google, like revolutionary text, you're gonna get book lists, like so many. You don't need to be in everyone's comments asking, what should I read? Where should I begin? Like all of this information is so accessible, especially if you're a content creator or if like you, you know how to use the internet. We all do. We were raised on it. It was required in our schools. So I think it's up to all of us to take responsibility to educate ourselves. And if you aren't educating yourself, then you will be left behind. 
I know Katie and I definitely agree. And we see that with brands a lot and just cancel culture with people as well. Like if you're not staying educated and having productive conversations online, then it can be very easy to, like you said, be left behind. But I'd love to know if you have any tips for how to find your voice online if you're not used to speaking out about more serious topics and create that community to have these healthy conversations. Really just getting specific about what you want to say. I think the more specific, the better, because there are communities for almost everything. You don't have to be everything. No one has to be everything. There may be something that you're really, really passionate about. Hyper-focus on that. And if you get 100,000 followers from it, people are going to be sending you stuff like, you need to amplify this. You have this platform. You need to amplify this. So I think in that case, that's when you pass the mic because you don't know about that. So you reach out. You find the people in your neighborhood. You find the people in your online community who are doing that work. Let them get on your account for a day and talk about that thing that someone else sent to you that you don't have the words for. Because at the end of the day, that's still you doing the work because you work to grow the platform. And now that you have the platform, let's use it. I really needed to hear that. So I'm actually an international student in the States, and I've been engaging in a lot of conversations with international students recently. So a lot of times people will reach out and they'll be like, can you talk about the censorship in the Philippines or, you know, the bombing in Lebanon? And I'm like, I really do. I want to. But I also get so overwhelmed and I don't know what to do. So I think what you said about passing the mic and letting somebody else who, you know, wants to champion this topic can do so on their platform. And it's, it's, it's not always easy to find those people and to find that community, but they're out there. And so we have to do the work to find them. And that's what I'm interested in doing next. Like I've built my platform. It's so me, 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 my face all the time. And so I'm trying to figure out a way to introduce other people, to go live with other people and save those lives. Instagram is giving us an opportunity to save the lives, you know, so other people can watch them later on. Continue to seek those people out, like sending the emails like, hey, I have this platform and I see that you are very passionate about this thing. It's not considered an interview. I can't pay you anything. But would you like to come on my platform of these many people and talk about this thing? So for our last question, and you touched on it a bit with what to do next, but we would love to hear about how you want to grow as a creative in the future and maybe any projects you can tell us about that you're working on. Yeah, um, I am gearing up to make more long form content. So I am starting to identify as a filmmaker. Like that was something I wasn't comfortable with before, but I find film to be such an amazing medium that you can just do so much with. So um, that's like in my cards in the future. Um, I want to open a... I I can't give all the details yet because I'm still like in the beginning, but I want to open a performing and fine arts center in Atlanta, Georgia. So that's something that I'm going to be crowdfunding for and trying to find the land to be able to do that Um, just to make spaces more accessible so that the community can use these spaces. Um, That's something that I'm like actively working on and I want to put it out into the universe so I can begin getting that kind of support. So this is my first time saying it. I'm really happy to say it here with you too. Yeah, I'm working on some music. I feel very inspired to do that right now. And then season two of the podcast, I'm gearing up for that. And I know you said you're in college. So whoever hears this, other college students, like let's talk. Let's talk about 
our dorm room culture. Let's talk about what's going on on these college campuses. You know, reach out to me. My website is harapfeminist.com. I take story submissions. I take questions, even though I don't give advice, um, unless I feel like I can. Um, but yeah, I, I can refer you to where the experts are if I don't feel equipped to talk about something. But definitely my podcast season two, I got all my stuff shipped from LA. So my stuff should be here in like two weeks. So I have all my equipment, my mic, and I'm just really excited to get back into the swing of things. Well, thank you so much for sharing your content wisdom with us today. Everyone can go follow Tasneem at Hood Rat Feminist on Instagram. Of course, watch her documentary, Mom Never Told Me, and go listen to her podcast, Pleasure Pusher, on iTunes and Spotify. We will make sure to link it all in the show notes. Thank you for having me. This is a pleasure. Thank you. So, Katie, what was your takeaway from that interview? Two words, creative intersectionality. The last word is also a very popular buzzword these days, and it explains the different identities that each one of us has that uniquely intersects in our life to shape who we are. This is the first time, though, that I've heard it in a creative context, and it makes so much sense because as creators, we too have many different outlets to cope with our issues, and I'm personally feeling very motivated to explore this for my own videos, designs, writing, and I hope you listeners also feel encouraged to do this yourself. I loved how she talked about artists need to live because I often forget that content creation is a form of art. I try to paint. It doesn't work out. I try to do pottery and I'm not the best. And I'm like, oh, I just wish I was an artist. But because video editing feels so mechanical to me sometimes, um, but I do love the creativity I get when I have a new video idea or I try a new editing style. And it makes me excited to add that artist or creative aspect back into my videos. I also loved how she talked about it's okay to take a break and live your life and make sure creating is healthy for you and not having a negative impact on you as an artist. And I think for us, maybe I know that YouTube is also a job. And so having your creative outlet also be your income can be tough. And so sometimes you have to realize you need the break and coming back is going to make you stronger than before. Well, we hope this gave you the motivation to make some creative magic today. We are your hosts, Katie. You can find me at AlohaKatieX on Instagram. And I'm Hannah. You can find me at Miss Hannah Ashton on Instagram. The Secret Syllabus was created by The Female Quotient in partnership with iHeartMedia and co-produced by The Female Quotient and Wonder Media Network. The FQ is committed to advancing equality and elevating women from college campuses to the corner office. You can find out more at www.thefemalequotient.com. See you after class. Bye, guys.